Jude chapter 1. Last week in our previous message, we were looking at the first two verses in this book of Jude, a very short book, 25 verses. And the first two verses have an introduction. And not just a common greeting. Sometimes people will just say greetings and maybe they're more part of the culture or, or things that people will say. But there's a lot of meaning here that we've seen that Jude had when giving this introduction. Uh, very much showing a heart that belonged to Jesus Christ. A heart part of a greater spiritual family. A heart with a common calling to be holy and a heart that spoke of common blessings for all the children of God. We also see this this, uh, strong desire from the very first verse, a longing from the very beginning to speak of what we all share in Jesus Christ. But there's what we want to speak about at times. And then there's our duty. There's a bit of a struggle goes on in these verses with Jude. He's what he wants to speak about these wonderful truths that we have in Jesus Christ, wonderful truths. But out of duty, he must do something else. He must say things that need to be said. Boys and girls here That's actually good. You're all in the same spot. Have you ever been playing a fun game? A game where you're having so much fun, you don't want it to stop. And guess what happens in the middle of that game? It's dinner time. It's lunch time. And you're like, no, we need another 10 minutes. But the food will get cold. Won't it? And what do you want to do? You want to keep playing the game, don't you? But if you take an extra five, ten minutes, the food is going to be cold. There's what we want to do, which is have fun. And having fun is great, isn't it? Your friends are over. Your brothers and sisters are playing with you. It's wonderful. And as great as having fun is, and you should have fun, what we want, and then there's what we should do. Sometimes what we should do is not what we really, really want to do. What should we do? We should obey God at all times, shouldn't we? We shouldn't be thinking, you know what, I'm going to obey God when I'm in a good mood, when I want to. Is that a good way to be? No, it's not at all. And should we wait those 10, 15 minutes to come to the dinner table? No, we should go straight away. Out of a love for God. Because part of his law is to honor our father and our mother, the fifth commandment. There's things that we want to do that are good things. But then there's things that we must do. These are duties. These are things that we should do following God. And we should trust Jesus Christ. Not just in this area, in every area. And we should ask children, when we should ask God if our hearts 
are not there, we should ask God to change our hearts. That we would love this thing that God is asking us to do or that other people are asking us to do. To love, to serve. Now, there's a bit of a struggle here as well with Jude in our text. Do you know this? In Jude, there's what he wants to talk about. Something wonderful. Not a bad thing at all. What we have in Christ, it's a great foundation. But he must talk about hard truths. Things that he probably would prefer not to talk about. So children and older children of God here this morning. Are you ready to hear from God? Not from me, but from God. So let us read. We're going to read the first seven verses with our preaching then being on verses 3 and 4. Jude 1, verses 1 to 7, let us hear God's word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Our title for this morning's message is The Need, The Need to Contend for the Faith. The Need to Contend for the Faith. And our text will be verses 3 and 4 of Jude. In this book, uh, the focus very much changes in these verses. In verses 1 and 2, very positive truths. uh, Truths that should encourage us all and lift our hearts and make us sing. But then it changes almost very dramatically, doesn't it? In verses 3 and 4, it goes from something very positive, you could say, to something very negative. Uh, Topics that we would probably try to avoid maybe at the dinner table. Things that we don't readily want to think about but as it is part of God's holy and infallible word we must look 
at this subject. All of Scripture has a role to play in blessing and leading us. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture. And that's all the things that have been written in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. So every single thing from Genesis 1.1 all the way to the end of Revelation has a blessed place to play for the Christian. Everything written in the Bible has something it can help us with. Uh, The good things and the bad. Uh, The good things encourage us. and We need those too. We need encouragement. We need to know of our blessings in Jesus Christ. The things that we share one one with another. But we also need to know the bad things. We also need to know, be reminded of how badly wrong things can go if we turn away from him. If we do not listen to the only wise God. We're not here this morning, dear friends, to listen to mere men. We're here this morning to listen to the infinite, the eternal, and all-wise God. Our first point that we're going to look at from verses 3 and 4 is an honest desire. An honest desire. Before we can look at this difficult subject, uh, Jude feels it necessary to point, put out what he would like to talk about. And there's a purpose for this. What did he want to talk about? It says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Beloved. Now Jude begins his address. This is really a new section you could say. And he begins it with beloved. Beloved. Not just beloved in in kind of a here's a dear so and so. But accepted before God. Loved by God through Jesus Christ. And not only loved that way. Loved One with another. One of the signs of somebody is a believer in Jesus Christ. They love the brethren. So we should all be able to greet each other as beloved. As Jude did here to these these churches that would be reading this letter. While I was very diligent to write unto you, it says. I was very diligent to write unto you. Now that love spoken about there, beloved... That common bond shared between the believers in Jesus Christ and Jude, the writer of this letter. He has a desire, a longing desire because of that love. And that desire is this. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. This word here literally is while... I was making every effort. Literally making all haste. That's kind of what it means. Literally making all speed, all urgency. It's a very strong phrase in the original language. While I was making every effort, he's saying. While I was making every attempt within me. A very serious matter, a matter that Jude really deeply cared about. But this desire is still not the central issue of this letter in these two verses. But we should think, why is it here? It's here for one reason, to tell us how important the next topic is. 
But it is also there to say, for us, do we have the same desire as Jude to, to have this same urgency to talk about what we share one with another. So then, when we do see that common bond, that what we share one with another, that love we have for one another, we can face the difficult things. But we can only face the difficult things if we're united as one. Isn't that true? A church that is dis, has disunity everywhere cannot deal with the difficult tasks of church life. The truth that we are one. We should all be as passionate as Jude is. Having that same bursting desire within him. But that desire that Jude has is only second to something that was compelling him to do something else. Constraining him to do something else. So an honest desire. Number two now, a heavy duty. A heavy duty. He says after this phrase, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. I found it necessary. The sense of it here is, although I wanted eagerly so much to speak of what we share in common, our common salvation in Jesus Christ, I am compelled. I have this duty weighing upon me. Uh, And the word here almost for necessity has got this idea of pressure. It's got the idea of constraint, obligation, duty. Duty. The emphasis here is the serious nature of what Jude is discussing. We've got to ask ourselves here this morning, why would Jude even put this in? Why beat about the bush? Why not just get straight to the topic? Well, it's almost like he's saying this. You know what? I would prefer to be talking about something else. I really would. It's almost like what Paul says in Philippians 4.18. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report... If there are any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. So these are good things. These are positive truths. And our mind should be drawn towards them. I'm sure that's what Jude would have preferred to discuss here. In a way, he's saying this. This is not my hobby horse. This is not something he loves and gravitates towards. Um, He does not love the controversy. There are people who will be naturally drawn toward the controversial and other things. But he's saying, this is not the case, brethren. But a situation has arisen. So that his love for them compels him, and his love for God, compels him to talk about a difficult topic. The topics described in Jude, and as we read earlier in 2 Peter chapter 2, they should be heavy for us to read. It's hard for us to read about judgment and these consequences of turning away from God and rejecting him. 
This love for these people compels Jude to look at the problem developing in the church, and I mean the wider church. This isn't being sent to one specific church. This is the wider church in general. No matter how much he would prefer to talk about other things, there's almost like a sense he will not have a moment's peace until he follows what God wants him to say. And dear friends, there will be people who will come into this pulpit in in weeks and months to come. And they will come and they may say things that you will not want to hear at times. And they will say things that may even step on your toes and make you angry. But the question we all have to ask ourselves is, is it in the word of God? Is it truth? And also remember, when that person tells you something, out of necessity, it's out of love. It's out of a love. If an unpleasant truth comes, a truth that that person compelled to tell you of, to be faithful to his duty before God. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Be very careful of the person who will tell you everything you want to hear all the time. The truth, the necessary truth that we have to hear is that there are dangers and it is a heavy duty. It is a heavy burden. One where God compels us to follow him. No matter how much we would like to sometimes avoid certain issues. So now, number three, we're going to look at a heavenly doctrine. So we've looked at an honest desire, a a heavy duty, a heavenly doctrine. So what compulsion did Jude have? What weighed upon him? What pressure was placed upon him in terms of obligation? It says in verse three once again, Verse 3, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Exhorting you to contend for the faith. This love that we spoke about earlier, this love that Jude had for fellow believers, it doesn't stop at the comma Right after beloved. It goes all the way through this verse. And it goes all the way through to the end of the book. Every single line. And it is a loving exhorting. A loving exhorting. And this word has a sense of urge strongly. Urging strongly. Exhorting. But also a sense of encouraging. Encouraging. See, sometimes when we think of exhorting, we may think of, you know, that person who may be overly zealous in an area and may be pressurizing you to do something you don't want to do. But that's not the sense of this word at all here. The sense of this word here is almost of someone coming alongside someone else and encouraging them and urging them. There's a warm friendliness to this. This word is translated in various different ways in the New Testament. An encouragement, but it is not casual. It has both aspects. It is a very strong urging, but done in a loving and encouraging way. To contend earnestly for the faith. And this word contend 
has a sense of struggle or almost battle about it. It means literally to exert an intense effort on behalf of something. An intense effort. The the word has a sense of hard work, toil, struggle. It's hard. Uh, If you think of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now I've never wrestled in my life. But we know what it is to wrestle with something. Physical wrestling in sports, it is draining. It is exhausting. It is tiring. It is difficult. It is a struggle. And to to contend for the faith here, he's encouraging with all that he has to contend, to struggle, to toil with everything they have for the faith. Because it's a fight. It's a fight. It is a spiritual combat. It's not physical combat, but it's spiritual combat. Last week, we were looking at how we were brought into a royal family. But we're not just brought into a family. We're brought into an army. The Lord of hosts. That word can also be translated the Lord of armies. To fight. What did Paul write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called to have confession The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Now, children who are here, do any of you fight with your brothers or sisters at home? I hope the answer is no. You would never fight with your brothers and sisters. That never happens, I'm sure, I'm sure. But it's not a good thing, is it? Fighting is never pleasant, is it? You should never... Do you ever like at the end of a fight? Yes, I had a fight. No, it's, you're all sad at the end of it, aren't you? You're all miserable. Fighting is hard. Fighting is a struggle. Uh, but it's wrong when we fight against each other. It's wrong when we fight against our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. But is all fighting wrong? Is all fighting wrong? Not at all. What if we are in our fighting, we're protecting someone, something good, maybe someone who needs protection against something that is bad? Well, you would say that that person is probably a hero, somebody who's very brave. Protecting what needs to be protected. If we think of those brave soldiers who fought in the two world wars, we would never say that their, their fight was bad. They fought a good fight. Doesn't it depend on what we fight for? It depends what we fight for. We all fight for something, don't we? It may be, you took my toy and you start fighting with your brother or sister. Or you're fighting with A person you were friends with for years, sadly. And it might be somebody said something to you that offended you. And then our feelings are hurt and we're we're fighting for that reason. But what should we fight for? What should we be promoting? What should we be 
defending? What should we be doing for the advantage of? It says here, for the faith. That's what we should all be fighting for. I think a lot of us, maybe, we see the word fighting and go, yeah, Christianity, it's all about combating. We just don't see what we are to be fighting for, the faith. And that faith is, we're not talking about our trust in Jesus Christ. We're talking about the body of doctrine we believe. Faith can mean that at times. But here in this context, it is the body of doctrine, the truth we believe. Paul, when he was converted, before he was struggling against the faith. Now, after Paul the Apostle is converted on the road to Damascus, he is said to be preaching. He preaches the faith in Galatians 1.23. Goes from struggling against it to struggling for it. To struggling for it. The truth given to the saints, that heavenly truth, once for all. That word gives it a sense of perfection. Something that never changes. Something that is certain. Very different to what the false teachers will give. And their new, novel doctrines. Something worth struggling for. Something worth suffering for. Striving for. Toiling for. Wrestling for. This is not a message you'll hear in much modern evangelicalism. Today, it's very much, come in and your life will be fixed and everything will be okay. There is a sense, and I remember a friend saying this to me years ago, there's a sense in which your problems have just begun when you become a Christian. The devil, then the seed of the serpent will be after you. However, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It is worth every ounce of sweat. It is worth every agony. It is worth it all. And in this struggle, we don't earn our salvation at all. It's all been purchased by Jesus Christ. But we're still out of a thankfulness, a joy for being saved in the first place, and to promote it and to pass it on from generation to generation. Uh, to promote it in the area such as a place like here in Rathfra Island. To promote the truth. To stand and to struggle for it. Because it is a struggle and it is hard. And how do we do that? The faith. We learn the faith through reading our Bibles. If we don't read our Bibles, we won't know what to stand for. We won't know what it says. We can learn the faith through our catechisms. Great Tools to use to learn the truth. And I'm not just speaking to the young people. Young people memorize the catechisms. But also, older people. It isn't just for young people. The the catechisms are for everybody. You might find the larger catechism quite difficult. Read the shorter catechism first. They are there to help us. And we can learn the faith by being diligent to attend church. Every Sabbath day by being blessed by holy meals through the word. Contend. Fight. That's how we do it. It's not fighting with one another. It's fighting for the faith. Fighting a good fight. Fighting the good fight. Our next one, number four now, is a horrendous danger. A horrendous danger. There's a danger to this, isn't there? And this has made Jude change course in the midst of these verses. 
What is so bad, he must deal with it. What is so bad? What could be so bad? I think sometimes we can just think, well, sure, it'll be all fine. But in verse 4, it says this, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. The temptation we have at times is to think, well, it'll be okay. It'll sort itself out. But Jude feels the need to deal with it lovingly. Lovingly. No doubt Jude has noticed these false believers creeping in to the body. Who abuse the grace of God. And we know. We need to know the truth. And protect this heavenly doctrine for one major reason. There's other major reasons as well. But the, the devil's workers are rarely lazy. If you ever look at cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are so active. They are so busy. Groups like the Mormons. The devil does not rest in his assault against the seed of the woman. Spoken about in Genesis 3.15. If the truth is not taught, and I say the truth, not just the gospel, but the whole truth, the body of doctrines, the doctrines of all that heaven sent doctrine. What will happen to the churches? What will happen? Well, think of a garden. What happens to that garden when the weeds are not removed? What happens to that garden when there's no watering, when there's no feeding of the plants? Oh, there's still a garden there. Just about. But it's a garden in need of much work. The truth needs to be taught. Yes, from the pulpit, but also in our homes. Talking, maybe like a little five, ten minute chat. Yes, with your children, but also with one another. Married couples here. Speak about God with one another. Share the truth with one another. Maybe you read a scripture verse and you're wondering what it means. Share it with one another. What do you think this means? Iron sharpens iron. We all need to be fed. And there's various different ways that we can be fed. And if the truth is neglected, just like that garden that hasn't been kept well... It can overgrow with weeds with time. And much of the faith can be forgotten. Neglected. If we do not know something. Then there is a tremendous and horrendous danger. That there will come in another gospel. That is the danger. You see we can know okay that Jesus saves us. And it's Jesus alone. But we know little precious little outside of that. And that's a dangerous thing because. These teachers are very crafty with how they present the truth. And we think, well, we'll see this, won't we? It'll be obvious. But it's, it was not obvious to the people in Jude's time. This was not long after Jesus had been in the earth. This is like 30 years later. And what Peter warned about in 2 Peter was happening. Certain men, they crept in. What does it say? For certain men have crept in unnoticed. 
unnoticed. They weren't noticed. Jude saw it because he had that discernment. But the churches, and then notice this is a number of different churches he's writing to here. They slipped in, and the word here crept in. It's kind of got an idea of slipping in stealthily, snuck in, or slip in. One definition that I read about this one was worms one's way in. Join a group unnoticed. That's the idea. One thing you you should notice here about Jude, he's not saying, hey, find these people and get them out and everything will be perfect. I think that's where our brains usually go to. We've got to find where these people are. As long as you know the people not to listen to, we'll be all happy. His focus is not that. We've still got the problem of our own hearts. His focus at all times is contending earnestly for the faith. Struggling for that faith. Because if they are gone, someone else will come in their place. We have to know the truth. We have to know it, to struggle for it. Otherwise, if we don't know the truth, what will happen? In that vacuum, when there's a gap... It will be replaced by fables, cunningly devised fables, as Second Peter chapter one verse sixteen says. The toiling and the struggle, because a question of standing for the faith, to know what that is. If you're looking, if you're working in a shop, you don't stu- you don't study every single counterfeit money out there, do you? You need to know what the real thing looks like. You may look at one or two false notes. But we need to know what the truth looks like. So that when people like this come with something that isn't the truth, we'll go. This does not line up. And our final point, number five, is a heartbreaking denial. A heartbreaking denial. So an honest desire, a heavenly duty... No, a heavy duty, a heavenly doctrine, a horrendous danger, a heartbreaking denial. The danger here is not just doctrine, and it's not just about, oh no, we won't get everything right all the time. We're, all of us have areas to learn in, all the time. All of us have areas to grow. You could be in seminary for 30, 40 years, and you still would not have exhausted The endless glories of the Bible, of the truth. It's not about necessarily about being perfect, but the danger is here. The danger is here of what happens when they follow this route. They follow a way that leads to destruction. Verse 4 once again Who turn the grace of God, of our God, into lewdness and deny the only Lord God. And our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word deny is at the very end in the Greek. In the Greek they put them in different orders. And sometimes they'll put it at the beginning or at the end of the sentence. In order to give more emphasis on it. But this denial is very much emphasized here. These false teachers, they sneak in. They do something wicked with the grace of God. They bring in their own teaching, their own counterfeit faith, and they abuse the grace of God. 
they make an approval or altering of it. They pervert it to do something it was not intended to do. The grace of God does a number of things. It sets us free. It enables us to follow God. But these people have done something else. They've made the grace of God to approve of sin. It says the grace of God in lewdness. Lewdness. And literally here the idea is the the grace of God is being changed into and placed upon something it was not meant to be placed upon. It's been placed here, lewdness or the idea is self-abandonment. No boundaries. Insolence, lack of moral restraint. And if you look out in the media, if you look out even with our neighbors, sadly, the way the world is going at the moment, we see moral restraint thrown out the window. And a lot of people are professing Christians. This happens with. And they think, well, God is gracious, isn't he? And so, he doesn't mind if I do whatever this is. And they may even argue that they've been made this way. In other words, the grace of God has been turned into a license to sin. A permission slip to say you can do whatever you like and there's no restrictions. There's no constraints at all. You can come to church, but it doesn't matter how you live the rest of the week. Dear friends, do not fall into that trap. It's, 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 ve- it's very easy to fall into it. In Northern Ireland, in one of the most religious parts of the Western world, probably is the most religious part of the Western world right now, that we think, well, I'll come to church and I'm okay. I remember growing up as a Roman Catholic thinking like that. It's a very easy thing to do. But coming to church doesn't save you. Your Bible reading doesn't save you. Doing noble acts does not save you. Trust in Jesus Christ alone saves. Repenting of sin and trusting in Him. And if you are trusting in Him, you will not take the grace of God and say... I can do whatever I like. No, no. He is my master. He is my king. We will, we will sin. We will fall into it. But when we do, we're going to be miserable. Because he's chastening us. That misery. He's chastening us. He's correcting us. If you live however you like, with no boundaries, with no restraints, then you are lost. And, there's, and then in living that way, even if you still come to church, there's a heartbreaking denial of Jesus Christ. A heartbreaking denial of Jesus Christ. How many across Northern Ireland today, they're still going to churches. Maybe the gospel is still being preached in many of them and some of them are not. They go to church, they say they're a Christian. But the things that they show in their life, is no boundaries, insolence. None of us are perfect. I know this. I am not perfect. But what I'm talking about is an idea of self-abandonment. And they are just like these ungodly men. What about you? 
There's two struggles, isn't there, going on? There's two struggles on either side. A struggling for the faith, and that is for every single Christian. It's not just for the theologian. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the elder. It's for every single one of us to struggle for the faith. To struggle for the faith in your workplace. To struggle for the faith wherever God has put you into a school, young person. To struggle and toil and labor for the faith wherever God has placed you. At the marketplace, wherever that is. Learning your Bible so that you know what to stand for. Jude, just like all of us, myself included, we would like to think about more pleasant topics. And it is, there's no more sweet and wonderful truth than that we all belong to one another in Jesus Christ. But from that foundation, together as one, we need to contend for the faith. Encourage one another in this. Encourage one another. We need each other in this fight Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold upon eternal life. Amen.